Today is World Communion Sunday. It's a special time when churches throughout the world celebrate together the broken body and the shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Most churches don't take communion every Sunday like we do. In fact, there are very few church groups that practice weekly communion. Uh, many churches will only take it once a month or once a quarter, uh, once or twice a year, and many times on special days uh, such as this. And when I've talked with some of the others about why they do that, most of them tell me that the reason they don't like to do it every Sunday is because it becomes too familiar. 
that if you do something too much, it loses its significance in the life of the church. Well, I got to thinking about that. And as a general rule, I like things familiar. I like familiar places. I like to go places I've been before. I know how to get there, and I know what to expect when I get there. I like familiar people. I enjoy being around people I know more than crowds of strangers. I like familiar food. I have certain restaurants I, I like to go to. And about every time I go, I'm going to order the exact same meal. Who's with me? Yeah, there you go. It, it's amazing. All three services, at least 50% of the people agreed with that. That they like to go certain places and order certain meals because you know you're going to like it, don't you? There, there's no real mystery to that. When I go to the Texas Roadhouse, I don't need to look at a menu. It's going to be the 10-ounce Fort Worth ribeye, medium, with a baked sweet potato. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you very much. With, with that uh, brown sugar butter mixture thing they put on it. And a salad with honey mustard dressing. And of course, those, those rolls they make. Oh, I'm getting kind of hungry. I'm, I got to speed this up. I got to preach faster because I'm getting hungry. Uh, but I like familiarity. <laughs> and I like taking communion every Sunday. Because it reminds me how much God loves me. Now, I understand there are, there, there are pitfalls to familiarity. There is a downside. If you go the same places all the time, it can get a little boring. If you only hang around the same people, you miss out on new relationships. And I am sure that by eating the same food, I'm missing out on some wonderful meals that I would like if I tried them. And it is true that communion can become such a familiar thing to us that it becomes a habit, a routine, a tradition of the church, and we can become very casual and complacent about how we take it. I mean, how many times have we gotten to that point of the service and you've just had a lot of things on your mind and the plate comes around and you take your cracker, you take your cup, you wait till we say the right words, you take it and you put it down and the thought crosses your mind, I really didn't think about that at all. <laughs> I mean, I really didn't put any thought into that. I just did it because I've always done it. And I think the way to guard against that, the over-familiarity with communion, is to truly understand its meaning and its significance. Because when you do, I don't think you'll ever take it for granted. That's why I want to 
talk about it a little bit this morning on this World Communion Sunday. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Paul all record words that Jesus said about the meaning of the bread and the cup. During the Last Supper, he wanted to share with them what was about to happen to him with his death on the cross. And he told them that this bread was going to be broken, and he broke it apart and gave it to them, just like his body was about to be broken. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of all your sins. And so the key to understanding fully what this means is to understand what Jesus meant by the new covenant. And if you want to understand the new covenant, you have to go back and figure out the old covenant. And if you want to understand the old covenant, you can't start with the words of Jesus. You have to go back to the book of Genesis. We divide our Bibles into two parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Do you know the word testament is just another word for covenant? So the Bible is actually divided into the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Now, if you're not familiar with that term, the word covenant simply means an agreement or a contract. Two parties agree to something and there are promises of good if the terms of the contract are kept, and there are consequences if the terms of the contract are broken. And all the way back in the book of Genesis, God spoke to Abraham, and he made a covenant with him. He said, from you is going to become a mighty nation. A people after my own name. They came to be known as the chosen people or the people of Israel. And God said, if you will follow me, if you'll trust me, if you'll do what I ask you to do, that is what I promise you. And Abraham kept the covenant. It goes on to the time of Moses, and God calls Moses up on Mount Sinai, and he said, I'm going to give you my commands, my commandments, my laws. And if the people will obey my commands, then I will go with them, I will lead them, I will protect them, I will provide for them, and I will bless them. See, that was God's side of the covenant. He was going to do all of that for them. And in return, he asked them to honor him above all and obey his commands. And the rest of the Old Testament is a record of how faithful God was in keeping his part of the covenant and how faithless Israel was 
in failing to keep theirs. It seems that we are not good covenant keepers. And the history of God's relationship with his people is one of broken covenant. But even as they struggled to follow the Lord, to honor the Lord, to obey his commands, God was already setting in motion a plan for a new covenant. God spoke through the prophet Jeremiah. And he said, the time is coming when I will make a new covenant. I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people for I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. What God was promising through the prophet Jeremiah was the coming of Jesus. Because Jesus came into our world to fulfill the old covenant, to complete it, and to establish God's new covenant with us. The old covenant was based upon our ability to obey God and keep God's laws. And we failed miserably at it. The new covenant would be based entirely on God's love and grace for us, giving us what we do not deserve, forgiveness. Under the old covenant, the way that God chose to deal with the sins of the people was through someone called the high priest. Every year, they had a special day. It was called the Day of Atonement. And the high priest would go into the temple, and the temple was divided into areas. And the innermost area that had a huge curtain over it, to block it so no one could see in there. No one could go in there because that is where the presence of God dwelt among his people. But once a year, the high priest was asked to come into the Holy of Holies, to enter into the very presence of God. And he would take with him two goats. One goat was sacrificed for the sins of the people. And the other goat was called the scapegoat. You ever heard that term? It's biblical. This is where it comes from, the book of Leviticus. The high priest would take the scapegoat and he would lay his hands on the head of that goat and he would confess over it all the sins of the people. Must have took a while (laughs) to recite all the sins of the people for an entire year. He must have done it in kind of broad categories because he couldn't possibly name them all for they were many. But he would speak the sins of the people over that goat and then it would be taken out into the wilderness and released to signify that God had taken the sins of the people and cast them out from them. In Leviticus 16.34, God said, This is a lasting ordinance for you. Atonement is to be made once a year for all the sins of the Israelites. 
See, that was the problem with the old covenant. It didn't last. By the time the high priest finished the day of atonement and walked out of the temple, they had already sinned again. <laughs> Somewhere, somehow, some Israelite had dishonored or disobeyed God. And so the new list was started. And every year they had to go through this ritual of atonement for the sins of the people. But when Jesus came, he said, we're going to do something different. We're going to do something new. Jesus lived a, a perfect life, a sinless life, for one reason. So he could sacrifice it on the cross. And why would he do that? To fulfill the old covenant and begin the new. When Jesus died on the cross, he became both the high priest who offered the sacrifice and he became the sacrifice itself. Jesus took the place of both of the goats, the one that was slain and the one over whom the sins of the people were placed. Because the Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Just let those words sink in a moment. God made him who had no sin, a perfect life, a spotless life, a blameless life, a holy life, a righteous life, and he made him to be sin. Not just to take our sins, but to be sin. In other words, it's not like Jesus gathered up all our sin in a bag, threw it over his shoulder and said, I'll take these to the cross with me. No, when he was on the cross, God literally placed on him, just like the high priest did the goat, all the sins of the world. It must have been an horrific experience to have a perfect, holy, sinless life and suddenly be inundated with all of the evil and the wickedness of this world. Hebrews 10.10 says that Jesus sets aside the first covenant to establish the second covenant, and that we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. See, the Day of Atonement had to be repeated over and over and over again because the sins of the people were never fully gone. But through Jesus Christ, the new covenant... When he took our sins to the cross, they are gone. Completely and utterly gone. The Bible says as far as the east is from the west, so far has he cast our sins from us. The day of atonement was replaced 
by the day Christ died on the cross. And it never has to be repeated again. Because this forgiveness is permanent. This forgiveness never ends. This forgiveness is available to everyone all the time. This forgiveness makes possible a relationship with God that will last for eternity. And that's what this means. Now, I know that was probably a lot more than you really wanted to know. But I think it's important that you do know. There's a whole lot behind this. This isn't just some church ritual that a group of people got together in a room and said, let's make up something we can do to remember Jesus died for us. Jesus did this himself the night before he died. And he asked two things of us when we partake of communion. First of all, he said, whenever you eat the bread and drink the cup, do it in remembrance of me. It's really kind of sad, isn't it? That he had to ask us to remember him. You would think if you died for somebody, they might keep that in mind. But he knows human nature all too well. So he said, I'm going to give you something that whenever you do it, you'll think of this. And whenever you think of that, you'll remember that you're part of the new covenant. Your sins have been forgiven. You are loved beyond measure. And eternity is in your grasp. He said, whenever you eat the bread and drink the cup, remember me. Do this in remembrance of me. And he also said that when we do this, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. That's an odd choice of words. When you proclaim something, you shout it from the rooftops. You proclaim good news. You proclaim victory. We don't usually proclaim death. If I have to call somebody and tell them that someone's died, I don't shout it over the phone. I speak in rather hushed tones, in a quiet voice, and I say, I'm so sorry, but they've died. Jesus said, I don't want my death spoken in hushed tones. I don't want it whispered. I want it proclaimed. I want it shouted from the rooftops. I want the world to know that I have brought a new covenant, one in which your sins are forgiven forever, and you have a place with me in heaven. And so that's what we will do. Each week when we gather to worship, we will do the familiar. We will take bread. We will take a cup. 
and we will remember the cross. Let us pray. God, I thank you so much for giving us this means of remembering and proclaiming your new covenant. That you love us so much that you would die for us. That you would take our sins from us. And instead of condemnation, we receive mercy and grace. I pray, Father, that you bless us each and every week. May we never take for granted what the bread and the cup mean. May we never take it casually or with complacency. But may we pause to remember and may we proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. For it's in his holy and precious name we pray. Amen. I want to do something a little different this morning. Normally we have a hymn of invitation and then a few words from an elder about communion and then we sing another song. But this entire message I've just given you has been our communion meditation. And the invitation is not only an invitation to receive Christ, but it's an invitation to enter into his new covenant through the taking of bread and the cup. So we're going to sing just one song. Number 258, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. And as we sing this song, if you are not part of the new covenant, if you've never accepted the death of Christ on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins, then I want to invite you to do that. I want to implore you and plead with you to do that. You don't need to go another day without Jesus. His new covenant is for you. And during this time of invitation, I invite you to come. I would be uh, overjoyed and privileged to pray with you, to share with you in a confession of faith, receiving Christ as your Lord and Savior. We can arrange for your baptism and you will become part of his new covenant. At the end of this song, we're going to invite our elders and deacons to come forward, and we will go right into a time of communion. Let's stand together. Number 258, when I survey the wondrous cross.